Welcome to Tarot for the Wild Soul, a weekly tarot podcast about life, death, and rebirth. I'm your host, Lindsay Mack. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's such a gift to be able to gather weekly with all of you, and thank you for tuning in and listening. I uh, It is uh, time for another embodiment interview on the podcast. This week is Mage. It's so beautiful and so big, and the guest is like one of my favorite people of all time. Uh, and I'm so excited to dive into all the magic and medicine that they brought to this episode. I'm really quickly before we get there, just want to remind everyone listening that there is only um, just a couple more days, a little bit less than a week to sign up for my eight-week tarot course, Tarot for the Wild Soul, once uh, the doors have closed to this portal, this spiralic journey, they will not reopen again until next year. This will not happen again six months from now, (laughs) like the last one did. Um, And uh, if you feel the call, this is the time to come aboard, to take the leap, to join us. The doors close on March 19th, which is Tuesday. And again, will not reopen until next February. So if you're desiring the opportunity to learn um, a really powerful kind of treatment of the tarot, and if you are longing to learn about it in a way that is a rewilding and a stimulation of spirit and beauty, by all means, join us, please. And you can do that by visiting tarotforthewildsoul.com. And honestly, even if you want to learn more about it, you can do that at tarotforthewildsoul.com. And as always, if you're feeling like you might not want to take the course, but desire to be generous of spirit, we do have a sponsorship fund that allows us to open our doors to the hundreds of people who applied for scholarships and who for one reason or another were not able to be granted one this year. Um, your sponsorship donations allow us to open the doors to people who otherwise would not have the option to join us. So um, please consider that even if you like the work and um, you don't want to do it yourself or have done it. (laughs) So there's that. Again, you have less than a week. And uh, by the time we meet for next week's episode, I won't be saying anything about it because we will have already begun our journey. Um, Is there anything else? I don't think so. Um, on to the interview. Um, so this week for this month's, uh, guest, um, it's so appropriate that they are our embodiment guest for the sign of Pisces. And of course we're about to go into Aries season. Um, Our guest on the podcast this week is the amazing Jack Fervor, who's joining us as an embodiment of Queen of Wands. So before I get into Jack's prolific biography and credits, um, I want to speak a little bit about this interview because Jack really is an embodiment of many cards. Um, He is a being and a soul that he doesn't land on just one. He's really a harmony. So you'll notice in this interview that there are um, shades of magician. Jack is a really powerful communicator. Magician is ruled by Mercury. Magician is also the creator, the manifester, um, 
the one who literally brings the invisible down into visible. Mercury also has to do with movement. Jack is a choreographer and a mover and a dancer, along with being a performer and a writer. So there are lots of magician connections, huge magician connections with Jack. So I encourage everyone listening to this to kind of um, tune your ears to that, to the magician connection, because it's a big card. Like almost all of our other guests, Jack is also huge death card embodiment. You'll notice in kind of the themes and the topics that Jack speaks about, the powerful words he uses, the fact that he's a Scorpio rising, um, the work that he's drawn to create and make. Um, these are all kind of death card themes and um, we didn't get to so much of this in our interview, but Jack also has experienced so much that um, has really come from him sort of rising from these proverbial ashes. So there's huge death card embodiment there too. And I also want to say that there's really big um, knight of wands embodiment and seven of cups embodiment. So knight of wands embodiment because the knights are movers and knight of wands is an energy that involves an invitation for us to move in a way that aligns with us. And so much of Jack's work as a performer and a creator and a writer involves him moving, channeling movement in a way that is specific to him and really moving in a way that is unique to him um, and is very much from a foundation of training, but is undoubtedly and kind of uh, unmistakably Jack. That's very, uh, Knight of Wands for anyone kind of being like, well, I don't quite understand Knight of Wands. A wonderful example is to consider the two versions of the song all along the watchtower, one of them by Bob Dylan, the other one by Jimi Hendrix. So different, but two interpretations of the same thing and both, um, wildly specific to the, uh, vessel, you know, either Bob Dylan or Jimi Hendrix, just such different interpretations of the medicine of that song that is very much, uh, we can see that in Jack and in his interview. And we can see Seven of Cups because one of the most powerful aspects of Seven of Cups is kind of being able to channel fantasy, dreaming, um, spiritual connection in the ephemera without necessarily making it come down into physical form. We'll see with Jack that Jack really allows himself to kind of exist in these worlds of wondering and dreaming and considering and tuning in and allowing the energy to come down into form in time. So there's lots of, um, lots of really beautiful embodiments that we see with Jack that are so lovely. And maybe you'll even hear some that are unique to you, but the one in which we were actually speaking, the energy that came shown the brightest in terms of organic natural embodiment was queen of wands. So Jack Ferber is our embodiment of queen of wands. So there's a couple reasons for that. Um, and I'm going to go into that after I speak about Jack's uh, bio and who he is. So uh, Jack Ferber is a New York-based writer, choreographer, director, performer. 
His genre-defying performances, which have been called by The New Yorker so extreme that they sometimes look and feel like exorcisms, explore the tragicomedy of the human psyche. His work has been called darkly humorous, and it uh, attempts to interrogate and indict an array of psychological and socio-political issues, particularly in the realms of sexual orientation, gender, and power struggles. His visionary direction blurs boundaries between fantastic theatrics and stark naturalism, character and self, humor, and horror. And his works, just to name a few, have been presented in New York City at the New Museum, The Kitchen, The French Institute, PS122, Gibney Dance, Performa, Dance Space, Dixon Place. Um, His work has been toured. um, It's been performed at Bard College, American Dance Institute in Maryland, Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events. Um, The list goes on and on and on. Um, His work has been critically acclaimed in the New York Times, Le Monde, Art Forum, The New Yorker, Time Out New York, Modern Painters, The Financial Times, The Village Voice. Uh, I could go on and on and on. (laughs) You may have seen Jack uh, in his work as an actor in the movie Outside Providence or in the TV show Strangers with Candy. Uh, He's also been in the movie Gaby and has had a part in uh, the show High Maintenance. And um, if you... uh, look Jack up. You may know him from many, many, many commercials that he's done over the years. And, um, his work is very beautifully described as a juxtaposition between humor and horror. Um, so I met Jack, uh, or I'm so sorry. I, uh, saw Jack's work for the first time back in, I believe 2007, um, when he did uh, a piece called Swan, which was performed with um, an ensemble that he was a part of called Quan, um, who put together kind of these staged readings of movies. And they did Notes on a Scandal and they did Black Swan. And to this day, I've never seen anything funnier than Black Swan. I was there with um, my theater company at the time, which included my, uh, then boyfriend, now husband, Chase Voorhees. And, um, we literally died. We laughed so hard, um, and have loved Jack's work ever since. And since that time have tried to go to every single one of Jack's pieces that we were aware of and have seen now maybe four or five, um, and had the pleasure of meeting Jack about three or four years ago. And pretty much ever since then, we've been really, tight and, uh, have, uh, enjoyed a really special and beautiful friendship. Jack is also the co-host with Reed Bartelm of the podcast dance and stuff, which I happened to be a guest on, uh, last year. And, um, it's the most wonderful, hilarious, beautiful podcast. And even if you don't know about dance, it is, uh, the best, <laughs> one of my favorites. Um, and Jack's voice, his knowledge, his concern about issues, his desire to be of service with his work is all completely evident. And in the years that I have seen Jack's performances, I've been struck again and again and again about how the feeling of it is truly like a spiritualist seance. It's legitimately like um, a ceremony you watch him channel, you watch him transmute, you watch him change shape, um, transform and completely inhabit and allow himself to be a vessel 
open, honest, raw, powerful, accessing all manner of uh, energies and emotions in his pieces that are truly like um, rituals. Um, Hilarious, dark, amazing, um, intense, gorgeous rituals. So if you are in New York or if you are anywhere where Jack's work is being performed, like run, don't walk. Um, and you'll see, as you can see from the bio, Jack's work has been lauded for many, many years. And if you look him up, you'll know that. Um, so why queen of wands? Well, for many of the reasons that I just mentioned, so queen of wands, let's start with Queens. First of all, one of the most uh, important things about beginning to kind of rewild our understanding of the court cards is that they are not bound by gender. Anyone can be a queen. Anyone can be a king. Anyone. We we all are pages, knights, queens, and kings. We are all 16 of the court cards. So is the next person. So is the next person. Period. Um, Court cards and tarot in general general have nothing to do with gender. And Jack is such a perfect embodiment of Queen of Wands. Um, So is our guest, um, Stacey Ivory. So there's a lot of power here in listening to Jack's story and really seeing full queen embodiment. And how do we kind of know that he has queen embodiment? So the queens are very, very special because they're ruled by water. So they really have to do with a kind of an inner essence. And one telltale um, aspect of queen energy is that it doesn't really have to be spoken about. It's exuded. If you're around a queen of cups, a queen of wands, a queen of swords, a queen of pentacles, you know it. They don't have to talk about it. They don't have to prove it. They don't have to say who they are, or what they are. We all know. <laughs> and uh, some people have really dominant queen essences that really exude through them and infuse into all they do. Some people have more dominant essences with pages, with, with um, kings, and everybody kind of has their own primary essence with the queens, in my opinion. Everybody has like a little bit more of one than the other, and kind of only you can know what your primary essence is. So above all, queen of wands is embodiment of witch. And when we talk about the term witch, we're talking about someone, about uh, a being who has access to both the seen and the unseen, who desires to work in the realms of the seen and the unseen, and especially somebody who has access to both the fire and the waters of their own being and of creation. Queen of Wands is ruled by water and fire and embodies these two essences that cannot be held together by anything but alchemy. If you try to hold water and fire in one hand, and if you want the flames to still be crackling, you're using magic, period. So just by existing, Queen of Wands represents massive proof of magic. They're able to put things together that other people are not. This is a very, very powerful part of Jack. Um, one of Jack's, um, one of the most telltale uh, parts of Jack's work is that he kind of allows certain things, certain pieces, certain movies, certain performances. We talk a lot about this in the interview to kind of inhabit him. And then 
becomes something different. So that's very much about the transmutation process that we also see in temperance card because the temperance card is also a connection of fire and water. So there's a lot of Sagittarius energy happening here that is connected to higher learning, that's connected to the highest form of fire. Jack is also incredibly deep and very connected to the emotional center, to his soul, to his essence, and also wildly connected to his inner flame, the part of him that is not afraid to be seen, to move, to exude beauty and movement um, and um, power. And there's so much of that that is evident. Um, Jack's pieces are very, very powerful because he is a witch first and an artist, not second, but secondary to that, um, and really creates pieces, works on pieces, um, brings pieces down into form in the same way that I would work on an offering that would be channeled from spirit, that you would work on something that would be channeled from spirit. It's exactly the same. Um, and what we see with Jack is really how, um, creating art is really the highest form of channeling, one of the highest that we have available to us because of all that needs to come together in order to have that beautiful essence come through us in this way that only we could channel. And that's so clear with Jack that um, the alchemist, the witch, the creator, the intuitive, um, the depth and the heat is all very present, um, but it's channeled in this very specific way that is not connected necessarily to um, the esoteric arts. If we're going to talk about Reiki tarot, um, but is because art and uh, deep connections to channeling are just as much, if not more, connected to those art forms than anything else. So we really get to see that exhibited in Jack's wonderful interview. Um, I will say that we talk about a lot of things shorthand that not everyone in the audience might know. So uh, we're talking a lot in the interview about uh, one of Jack's first pieces, Everything is Imaginable, um, and another piece that he did, a uh, dance piece called Rumble Ghost. Um, and uh, please feel free to, as you listen, uh, Google these pieces and um like support Jack's work, support his podcast, listen, go see his next piece. Um, he really is so extraordinary and someone that I love so much. And really, I think living embodiment of the channeling, uh, witch who really lives completely organically in alignment with those aspects of self. Um, we didn't really get a chance to talk about this either. Um, uh, Jack is, um, also has had a very tremendous um, upbringing with being traumatized and really coming, like rising from the ashes again and again, which may not necessarily be a, a queen of wands issue, but certainly the PTSD that comes with persecution is sometimes held in queen of wands energy. And um, my greatest hope uh, among many things is that this interview really serve as a reminder that we don't need to box ourselves in as kind of witch, intuitive, and just do um, kind of things that are considered quote unquote spiritual, um, that whatever medicine wants to come through us is connected to our queen of wandsness. We don't need to be anything. We don't need to be called anything like 
observed as anything, we can just let that permeate and it will be so clear because again, queen of wands, you know, we talk, we're talking about embodiment interviews period, but queens really are like, they go beyond language. It really is just, you meet someone and you go queen energy, bam. And again, um, Jack's, uh, gender, which we talk about, you know, is very flexible, very fluid, um, in terms of the feeling that he has connected with him, connected to all things, um, queens are not just for uh, people who identify as women. They are they are for everybody. So this is a perfect example of how we can see just a human embodiment of this beautiful card. Um, I'm so excited to share our conversation, and I'm pretty sure he'll probably be back for more <laughs> eventually. Um, but without further ado, uh, please enjoy my conversation with Jack and um, have a really beautiful week. I'll see you next time. Welcome to Tarot for the Wild Soul, a weekly tarot podcast about life, death, and rebirth. And I have with me this week, <laughs> like beaming, grinning ear to ear. Um, our last guest was uh, over the phone, and it feels really nice to have someone like back in. I had person. to be in person. I mean, it I feels had right. To be here. I was privately really like, oh, I really wanted you to be. I wanted to look into your eyes. It's important. I mean, this is how the work's done for me. <laughs> yes. I mean, I've definitely, I've had some really amazing, I had this incredible uh, astrology reading that Parker got me and we we did do that over the phone but I mm. really I'm a I'm I'm still an Into in person queen I'm a real <laughs> I'm really like this together we are going to create I love that and it, that yeah. shines in everything you do thank you but um I have with me uh pretty much like the incomparable Jack Ferber actor mover dancer choreographer director witch Writer. writer writer is a real that's that gets really witchy up in there I oh would say yeah lately writing has been channeler of divine written information yeah yeah it's been taking over it's been taking over more and mm. it's uh it's about listening it's really listening yeah. for those the whispering to come through yeah you know we chase and i after we saw your last piece um literally could not stop talking. And I mean, I shared this with you multiple times, but uh, your monologue at the end, like we just couldn't get over um, the the kind of, well, the power of it, the vulnerability of it, the intimacy of it, but like the depth of it mm. that felt... And for your work, this is really saying something because all those terms apply to all the pieces I've seen you do, but really on another level. Thank you. You're welcome. And um, I feel like that is, dare I say, really unique when you watch artists over time, that sometimes there's this tendency yeah. to kind of do the same thing. Yeah. Um, or there's periods where things change and your work is always changing like there's different levels every time I see you do a piece I, I try on every with every work to improve I mean you've and I also feel that well it's not about I mean yes in one part it's about improving mm -hmm. but so when I even got into this work it was so much about how to 
formally venture into the unknown. Mm -hmm. And so how can I continue to unknow myself when I'm also the creator of this? Because Mm -hmm. my experience of life has been that it's unknown and that it is that we are always grasping for known qualities so that we can feel safe and then they wash away in the in the sea (laughs) you know they fall apart they the earthquakes happen and so with this last work with everything is imaginable what I wanted to do for myself both um physically and then also with that text was to fully disorient myself in the way that I especially after the election was feeling disoriented in a way that I think so many of us who, um, I mean, I grew up in a lot of trauma Mm -hmm. and, uh, I think those of us who grew up with trauma, this traumatic, uh, event that we are experiencing in this country that is about rearranging reality Mm. is so terrifying because it remind, it can remind, or at least for me, it's, it is such a reminder of the ways in which um, predators would rearrange reality while I was growing up. That's so powerful. Yes. And that is so destabilizing. Yes. And so I needed to find a way to create something physically. And and also I would say generally with my work, and there was a lot of humor and everything is imaginable that Mm -hmm. leads up. And then in my I feel like act one is, is a lot of humor. Um, there's also the, the watching of these queer, uh, bodies laying on stage, um, just breathing after the hard solos that they did. I really wanted to just look at the body in exhaustion of the queer male and, and, and as it attempts to be something else Mm -hmm. and that the end of those solos that when they're trying to play at being Judy Garland, Martha Graham, Brian Guitana, My Little Pony, they just lay there and we get to watch them breathe. But it's still, there's so much energy behind that first act. And in mine, I really felt like it was (laughs) me, uh, you know, like, (laughs) like a crack in an airplane window and everything is starting to get sucked out. Yeah. Starting to, it really, there was a density to act two that uh, was create that you know when I and when I talk about making the work, I never feel like I am making it. I always feel like I'm trying to avail myself mm-hmm. to stay open mm-hmm. and and to listen. The worst things I've made are when I'm I I'm thinking, oh, this will be really great. When I have, oh, I think this will be really yeah, great. Totally, it's when I'm. Deeply connected and listening. Deeply connected yeah. and listening and waiting yeah. um, to receive. And that the second act for me was also so much about getting rid of the persona that I've used in a lot of my pieces of Jack mm-hmm. Ferber, which is a persona that's sort of built about a choreographer, if we were yeah. to like, quote unquote, that word or a director or this idea of the actor who's trying to arrange everything. Because yeah. that's what I see people doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it in a quotidian way, but then also in, in the theater, the ways in which these auteurs can be so monstrous. And so I wanted to play at that egoic sense of self. Um, and I decided to really let it go on this one. I mean, and you succeeded because of whoa, man. And it was, it, it was really, truly, um, 
powerful in so many ways, that second act, but for multiple reasons that we'll kind of weave in and out of in this talk, but so utterly exciting to see something that felt, um, it was like there was this crackling aliveness Mm -hmm. to you sharing. Well, there was so much to it, but one of the most impactful things for me was in watching it, like that work you do when brain chemistry gets so loud and so terrible and you just spoke it all. And that's really the thing that heals it, clears it, helps us not to identify. And it felt upon watching you do that so rigorously devoted to not identifying and just so fearless in how you shared, so open, so honest, so vulnerable, so brutal, while also layering these um, continual death rebirth cycles with the Catwoman experience, which we'll talk more about. But Well, I mean, and you really, and what was so wild was the first reading I ever had from you, Lindsay. You said you're, there's this piece, you're going to do this piece that's about, and it'll be really important for you, and it'll be about... Catwoman, Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman from Batman Returns. Which I know means so much to you. She was, she's my, that was my childhood icon. It was all about being a bullied. I mean, for me, when I saw that, I was 13. I was so bullied. I was um, being hit, being spit on, being told that I was going to be killed. Um, And then also my father was a bully. And it was when I saw that movie, you know, and you, you watch her, um, and she's so filled with self lacerating comments about herself. And mm-hmm. she's also so filled, she's internalized the abuse and then she's pushed out of a window yeah. and dies and then comes back to life and then comes back <laughs> as something else. Yeah. And that quality of the shattering effects of trauma Mm-hmm. And and that's what I've really been honing in on. I'd I'd say in this, as I in these, since I've been making work, starting mm-hmm. even when I was, uh, when I made my first piece at twenty one. It's all it's been about that. I make work yeah. about the shattering effects of trauma, and I use yes, I will use humor and entertainment and um, artifice and flirtation and all of these devices as a way to help open the audience to then listening to this material that I know so many of us share Mm -hmm. as a way to um, get some breathing room in there. Because I know for myself, I make work so that people don't feel so alone. Mm. And I, having had those experiences of feeling less alone by people sharing the things that we don't want to look at Mm -hmm. uh, helped helped with suicidality yeah because we get suicidal when we think we're alone of course when that noose has tightened around our neck yeah but anyhow so you said this thing about Catwoman, and and i i think it it you know that it helped it sparked that Mm -hmm. that ember in me that was like how and i thought how will i ever do this and you did it like in a way i couldn't even have and you know for for our that i couldn't have thought i mean yeah well it's like It just comes when it comes. But for our listeners, you know, uh, obviously in the intro we shared about your very prolific work um, 
as writer, actor, choreographer, dancer, performer, mover. Um, but we're speaking about Jack's recent piece called Everything is Imaginable that is five queer men. Each of them chose an icon that somehow in their boyhood or their childhood meant an enormous amount to them. And in the first act, these five boys do these epic solos. Four. Sorry, just, yeah, four. Yeah, just the four of them at that point. That's right. I'm sorry. entered the scene yet. These yeah. four boys do these epic solos. Yeah. Judy Garland, Brian Boitano, Martha Graham. Who's the fifth My little one? Pony. My Little Pony. I mean, That's right. The relationship between me and Reed. Oh, Reed killed it. It yeah. was amazing. Um, and then this like beautiful, epic group number at the end of act one. And then which Jack, I used to, was in. So originally I, I know. was in that quartet. And then you got injured, which we'll no, talk about. No, I took about. myself out before oh, the injury. Wow. I watched it was that right quartet. That you were, it was right that you were not in it. And I said, and Jeremy, my partner said, you know, it's just, at one point I remember him saying, it's so sad that you took yourself out of the fun of the show. Mm. And, I, and I said, but that, it. It was, it's that correct. Was correct. Yeah. If you had been in it, it would have been it there was something about you living in that. Well, because I also think and like I'm not a gay man. I'm not a queer man. Um, but there was something that spoke to me, and I it wasn't like I understood, but I wondered. And there was something that impacted me upon watching the juxtaposition between act one and act two. And act two, by the way, is uh, Jack performing and delivering this unbelievable monologue about his life, his brain chemistry, his injury, like all of these different incredibly deep things. Um, while uh, in repetition, the piece to the Batman Returns soundtrack score plays the music <laughs> that underscores Michelle Pfeiffer's death and rebirth as Catwoman again and again that is performed in different ways yeah, and in it, different variations physically. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I start with text and then I lay down. Yes. And then we, that laying down And as somebody who down. knows that movie really well, I knew immediately what was happening upon hearing yeah, the music yeah. and just got very excited. Yeah. But I, I say that to kind of like uh, explain and catch people up to it, but... There was also something really powerful in, um, you know, again, what I was saying about not being a queer man. So I don't know if this was your intention or if it was within um, your scope of intent. Yeah, for doing that. But it's like, I feel like there is this really big overcultural narrative that gay men are fabulous right. and they're amazing. Right, and right. you really illustrated what it was to be on the other end of the spectrum, yeah. which was like sometimes like you're called slurs every fucking day. Yeah. You're being beaten at home. You're being yeah. beaten in school. Yeah. And the icons that inspire fabulousness in some, some icons inspire survival. Correct. Where we are like, oh, this is my story. I see this story. Yeah. Like you and I have always connected and we will talk about poltergeist, but like, right. I remember seeing that and thinking like, I'm in that, like that right. there's something about me in there. 
I know this. Do you mean in Poltergeist or in the piece I made based on it? I've not seen oh. Rumble Ghost, and we've talked oh, about that. I have that. to send you the video. I'm so upset. Yes, please. I will please. send you the video. We, I don't know where we were or what was happening that I didn't see Rumble Ghost live because I've seen like everything you've done since. Fine. Whatever. The, show, the, the experimental performance. You got to bring that one back for me. For four, and I really for Rumble me. Ghost is a piece I really. Really, I'm putting it out there how much I do. That's the one piece I really want to remount, and also bring it because I have an idea for an, another ending to it <gasps> that, I, that I really want. I gotta to watch it. If you have the video, I want to see it. But yes, with every, I mean, also I don't relate to. I think the part of when I took myself out of that quartet is when I look at the bodies you don't of see it. James Whiteside, <laughs> Lloyd Knight, uh, Garen Scribner, Reed Bartleby. I don't. I also physically don't relate to those bodies mm. i'm uh i also my gender also feels so mercurial Flexible. and so i i feel that i mean and, and i've always felt that way ever since i was a, a kid this thing of the these categories always felt i i didn't understand them yeah um so i think also i i wanted to take myself out of it because i wanted to talk about the ways in which um, not only trauma, but uh, my size, my mm. relationship to gender and mm-hmm. um, all of that it has also has also contributed to making me feel yeah. isolated. Yeah. And and that it came I, through powerfully. I ex- my experience post-election was actually of feeling m- more of a shattering than a coming together of communities. Interesting. I actually felt that it. we arrived into the situation because of a real breakdown mm-hmm. in communities. And then I actually felt, I, f- I felt people isolate a little more out of just because that's what fear does. Yeah. Yes, there are these amazing marches where people came together. And yes, there are these incredible communities that are coming together. But the sort of immediate sense I had mm-hmm. was one of just... This, shattering yeah like wow. that sound of you know ice on a lake and it just yeah. going it just shooting across everywhere mm. um and I wanted to find a way to to be that yeah well you did it thank you so something that and I have a million questions for you but before I kind of get to like the story or the journey for you of what because you were an actor forever yeah. and um a lot of people listening to this undoubtedly know you from various things, movies, whatever. Um, and then there was a turning point for you where yeah. you realized, like, I'm a mover and an yeah. actor, and but I want to communicate through this language of movement yeah. as well. Um, but before I get there, um, something that is, and I am going to gush a little bit about you because I love you and your work. I love you. <laughs> I love you so and much. Your work. Um, so one of you have been my favorite creator for many years, like top many years, long before we knew one another, because you are a channeler. I would even say respectfully out of respect. You may disagree with this. The channeler aspect of your work comes through even a little bit before artist. Like it's very clear that there's something of the other world 
your pieces feel like spiritualist like rituals they feel like yeah. um for anyone listening to this like if you're in new york or if you ever want to see jack's work because you perform elsewhere occasionally sometimes. sometimes um it really is like attending a ceremony and that is the feel of it and it is very clear it's not just like oh yeah this is kind of like a ceremony like it is a ceremonial act and when you're finished with your pieces like you've just channeled like you have you're tired you're like you've given something you've been open to something and um so that's one of the first things like I think you are someone who very evidently and very uniquely is able to kind of unapologetically intersect the witch and the artist without any like like shying away from that. Um, and one of the most powerful ways and one of the most unique ways that I think that that comes through you is that you have a very unique style to me of really drawing, connecting and seemingly like merging with certain actors, performances, movies, or pieces of work where something is transmitted to you through that and you're able to kind of juxtapose yeah. something that comes through that the psychic dramaturgy. Oh, I mean, wow. Really, I just like, I just got wet from that. That's, that's, <laughs> really, that's dramaturgy. really what I feel I'm doing. I mean, part yes. of it is, I mean, theater is Shit. born out of ritual. So theater yes. is born out of ritual. And I think we, but I feel like it's we've, lost. We've, I, we have really lost touch with it. Unfortunately, yeah. but I would say that, um, especially as, uh, I, I think as people looked for um, these various, I, I mean, it, part of it is about like class disparity, I would say mm. where it became more about like dancing for the king mm. than dancing for the gods, oh, you know? And damn. this way, the way in which um, entertainment uh, replaced ritual. Yeah. And that people uh, then looked, and, and I think we're also in this thing now of, of the way in which capitalism is meant to put people to sleep mm. so that it can work on them, yeah. you know, so that they can just become gears in its machine. Mm -hmm. And a lot of work that is more conservative, more known, it's meant to do that. It's meant to yeah. continually reify um, the patriarchy or what's known, you yeah. know, known content the, that this is how, um, genders are going to work in the, in the theater space. This is even how sexual orientation will work here. This is how race will work here. This is yeah. how money will work here. Like this is how power will work here. You know, it's sort of, I think, um, and I don't come from that lineage. I that and that was a big shift for me as an actor mm -hmm. was that I felt like I was missing catharsis. Oh, what and yes. what I and my draw into performing into making was that desire for was catharsis. Desire for catharsis. Mm -hmm. And what was so interesting to me was that it didn't always come. I think also I wanted to really look at class disparity. And the ways in which people would perhaps turn their noses up at a movie like Poltergeist, whereas I have had catharsis from that film. Me too. I think the image of a mother yes. tying a rope around herself to go to hell. I know. To wall and turning back to her partner to say, Don't let Don't go. Don't let go. 
And I have, I mean, I have chills thinking Never. about them on the left side of my body. That's I know, the intuitive same, side. same. And, so, and this <laughs> idea that I loved that image and I, because yeah. that's what we do when we do the work. Yes. We go to hell with yes. a rope tied around ourselves that our support, our supports hang on to. So yeah. I also wanted to look at the ways in which the, that society and even in these big constructs that with money have created like events that are you know, that we now would say are in pop culture. Yeah. And how can we deliver the material? What are the iconographies inside of that can, that can be delivered mm. to uh, people in a live setting where we can experience live yes. catharsis? Oh. You know, so I'm, I'm definitely at this point interested in, in going towards film. Yeah. And at this, at this juncture in my life, partly because I've, I've been making work for since my full length works have been going on since 2007. And I just simply don't tour. People don't want it outside of, I mean, (laughs) very, very rarely do I feel like I'm asked to leave New York. And part of that is sort of the gatekeeper system of curators. Mm -hmm. And I think their own concern around perhaps their subscription audience Mm -hmm. or the amount of education that they've done for their audience or their, or I think that they might not understand that their audience is smarter than they think they are. Absolutely. You know, and um, I've had really amazing curators who have worked with me and I'm about to go to Fusebox in Austin, Texas. And I, nice. I love uh, the the team there. And, um, and going to Melbourne was so incredible. I've definitely, I mean, I've gone places, but my experience of, you know, APAP, which is this hideous <laughs> nightmare. I know APAP. Capitalizing festival that happens in January in New York, which I... You I know. remember we were like, we went, I remember my theater company like went uh, to APAP uh, and just. It's not my thing. I, I mean, I did it no. again this year and I think that's going to be it. Like I don't. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. And also I didn't do it for APAP. I did it to remount the show. Like yeah. I was like, we're going to remount the show. I've yeah. always done it in terms of remounting the show in full mm. um, for the, for an audience. <laughs> and, um, but Yes, that is something that I do of having these these inspirations that have already that are out there that are in the in the social in the psychic social thing that's happening and then taking those icons and unpacking them. Yes. And, you know, there and not to like, obviously, we're going to talk about more than poltergeist, but I do I do think like. I remember when um, I discovered you, it was after Rumble Ghost. <clears throat> it was when you were doing uh, Black Swan. Oh, yeah, when we did Swan. When you did Swan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which was the funniest the night funniest I've ever thing had. I've ever done. Funniest thing yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah. Ever. And um, that's with this company, Quality Without a Name, Quan. Quan, I remember. That, uh, and you working and with Jen those, and me and Jen, Randy Harrison, Christian Colson, Philip Turatula, Matt Wilkes. And the when we would work together, we had already done notes for Notes on a Scandal. I missed that one too. And then heard... we did Swan. Yeah. And those I love those queens so much. Yeah. And they really and the way amazing. we work together is just true is yeah. just true hilarity. Yeah. Well, I remember um being like, wow, because there is there I think that also something that comes through in poltergeist is that it is a an externalization 
of what you have to do internally to get away from your ghosts and to keep your inner child protected. And like what Joe Beth Williams goes through is really like a physical manifestation of the inner work. Because I do remember watching that as a kid and being completely enamored with it and being like, I know this. Yeah. There's something in this that, oh, yeah. Well, in the way that Rumble Ghost functions is the first act. It's also a two-actor. The first act is us reenacting some kind of version of Poltergeist that I've heavily abstracted. Mm -hmm. And then the second act is you realize that everyone's in a group therapy session. And that what we're that what we're doing is psychodrama. Amazing. And that we're I can't wait to we're like in a family. Uh it's not we're not in a family. The the actors are all people who are at like something like um not uh, what's that thing called in Pennsylvania that it's like there's a psychodrama place that you can go to. Oh, I don't know that. And I had gone to it. (laughs) Of course you have to to like do a, a full like week where you like give me your phone you just do therapy from like nine to nine. Oh wow and there were things we did in it that were so theatrical that mm-hmm. i i i thought well we're just i have to turn this into a show that's amazing yeah anyhow but that's the structure of that work but now i have a third act to it that i want to oh well, you gotta yeah you gotta to redo make. that one yeah so take people through so in terms of the process of creation so mm-hmm. One of your um, previous pieces, I believe the piece you did previous to Everything is Imaginable, that for some reason I'm blanking on right now, it was um, connected to Suspiria. Oh, it was It was called I Want You to Want Me. I Want You to Want Me. Thank yeah. you. I, we did see it, obviously. Yeah. And we said hello to each other. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I um, yeah. So take me through an example of that because, again, like, the thing that I keep coming back to is like, and I did that before I even knew they were making the Suspiria remake. I know. I, I want to give you Zeitgeisty. like, yeah, it, really, it, and then I heard that they were doing it and I tried so hard to get the choreographer for it, but I actually, I thought Damien did such great work on that. Um, it was beautiful. I, so take a, Oh, I'm sorry to no, cut no, you off. No, take, take us through like, you know, kind of that sense of psychic dramaturgy, you know, I think that a lot of people when creating, because you've really embodied a life where you live again, like you're not separate from your inner witch. Like no. it is the dominating force, yeah. like your inner channeler, your intuit, your you are an intuitive who yeah. is just channeling down these pieces. So, like for example, with I want you to want me, like what was kind of the order of that? Do you get like an, a flash, a knowing, an idea, or do you get an offer and funding and then you create mm. from that? Like, what is your process like of I mean, creation? generally the curation comes first where mm-hmm. I've, I've been asked to create, yeah. uh, to create a work. And then generally pretty quickly something starts to knock at the door yeah. and then... I invite that in Mm -hmm. and then it, it will give me some information Mm -hmm. and then a kind of, uh, as my dramaturg, Joshua Lubin-Levy has said to me before, my choreography and the text begin to vice grip each other. Oh, really? So as they start to tighten up, they start to edit out 
aspects of each other. So it feels like the work starts moving on its own accord and you're mm-hmm. following it. I follow it. And then a very, ex- a very intense editing process also happens. Mm. Um, I've said before that I feel that what I, I'm an emotional formalist. Mm. So I'm, because I'm working with emotions and they are so unwieldy, um, so uh, messy that form is really important to me. Because it grounds everything. It does. And it's also how the audience is going to view it. And I I think that um, I, I want the, even if the message is going to be mystery, Mm -hmm. it must be clear. Poetry is not vague. Yeah. And you are right. Um, and neither is channeling, neither is as we try to stay open. I mean, these, it's so, it's really about uh, these precisions yeah. that need to happen. So, I mean, in that case, where they want you to want me, uh, the commission had come through and I was really interested in making something about Suspiria. Mm-hmm. I was sort of already floating around in my mind and I was also thinking about ballet and death and. Um, I mean, it was very different in terms of the movie. It didn't focus on ballet at all. It was a very sort of modern company. If anything, it looked like it was, you know, they said, I, I saw you at the Martha Graham. She says, I saw you at the Martha Graham school, you know, and it did feel like <laughs> choreography that would have been shown there at that time. And um, so I was interested in the violence of ballet. Yeah, and it came through so beautifully. Yeah, and the, the, the sapping people of their energy yeah. for these older uh, artistic directors to stay alive vampirically. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, and I made that in the summer of 2016. And then we like look at what's just happened in the ballet world in New York since yeah. then. And it's really, you know, I, I really wasn't commenting on uh, those sort of assault traumas that have just have now come through at all. That the piece I made was far more just about like vampirism, and there was but comedy in it. But there was also such a level of violence. Yeah, that is also from my friends who are who, experienced who, who are in the yeah. ballet world and who I've watched, and yeah, it's such it's um, and and that I have also loved ballet. Mm-hmm. I have felt so confused in my relationship to loving works of Balanchine, loving works of Robbins, who was so cruel mm-hmm. and so abusive. Really? Yeah. And, you know, I think, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm unpacking that. I mean, part of why I wanted to be a maker was that I wanted to be a really generous uh, I wanted to be someone who really took care of a company, like the people who worked for me. I remember once you speaking about this on your wonderful podcast, what's going on with dance and stuff, which is my, my favorite podcast easily. I think now it's just called dance and stuff. Okay. I think Jeremy has, stuff. I mean, I really like what's going on with dance <laughs> and stuff, but I think Jeremy was like, we have to, we have okay. to, we have to streamline dance it. So stuff. you can find dance and stuff on iTunes and Stitcher. Yeah. And, you know, we're now it's, hosted by Anchor. It's the best. But we have an Instagram. Our Instagram is with dance and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then our website is dance and stuff. And now we have <laughs> dot com. And now we have video content. Yes. But anyhow, oh, um, yes. I had to just plug it. I remember. I love it. You'll get to plug it at the end, too. Um, I remember you sharing in one episode that you and Reed were just talking about something similar to this. I actually think when all that stuff about the guy from New York, uh, city ballet, city ballet, sorry. And you were talking about how 
you remembered being in school, being in classes and just being so violated by Mm. teachers. And I remember that Mm. from theater training, just Mm. like complete emotional masturbation Mm. on behalf of the like torture. Mm -hmm. And I remember you saying like, I, I'm passionate about never doing that. Yeah. Like I'll push, I'll support, I'll be strong. No one goes past where they're comfortable going. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's very new. The boundaries I have are extreme because I think they need to be, I think. And it's also, I think so much of, I think that's our journey into adulthood, right? Is trying to be, um, so much of what I'm trying to be is what I didn't have. And I mean, there's this whole other element of that. I remember being on a panel of young makers when I was in my early twenties and we were all talking about why is this so hard and why can't we get funding? Why are we met with these conservative critics and these, you know, curators and Mm. uh, uh, this man stood up and he said, everyone who would have helped you died of AIDS. Wow. And that began my research into, I mean, I was like 20 and I, I hadn't thought at that point much about the crisis and except knowing some about it, definitely having felt impacted by it. And, um, in terms of all the terror that I think those of us who grew up in the eighties and like into the early nineties were feeling. And, uh, as we came into our sexuality and we're seeing on Newsweek, gay men die of AIDS or Mm. stuff like that. And, um, or whatever that Newsweek title was, but that started me looking into the AIDS crisis and where it was met with the NEA four that we had the NEA removed from a a single artist being able to receive it through, you know, the, the Finley at all price. And people can look at this, but what happened in that breakdown of our funding for the arts during the AIDS crisis, where we were having just this, you know, this mass slaughter, Mm -hmm. um, it, it devastated, it's, it devastated the world. And, it also, it, it devastated our community. It devastated the queer community. It devastated the artistic community. And um, it devastated us as the world. Yeah. And I think that thinking about that too, especially now as a teacher, um, I, I feel so frequently like I'm stretching my arms really far mm. across time to try to be a, a support that I I certainly have, have received a, a lot of support of, which I'm really grateful for, but I'm in a, de- a very different climate. Yeah. We're in a very different climate. And it's it, I do feel artistically in terms of arts funding and mm. a kind of conservatism that it's yeah feels like it's getting worse. Oh, so such a shame. I hope that one day it's there is a turn and me too. Yeah. Well, it's about people coming together. And I think it's about people, you know, something that's so hard when there isn't a lot of funding is I think that can create um, a very fractured, very fractured communities all looking to just take care of themselves. Yeah. And it's because there's so little. There's so, so little, little that so it everyone's fighting fosters for that. competition. Yeah. It takes away that universe, that universal sense of um, communion and helpfulness. Yeah. It really. Yeah. As if making art wasn't already so, Uh takes so much time to be alone so you can think and listen to the voices, you know? So I I think it's really, and it is what we're trying to do with the podcast. You know, we're trying, not only 
it's it's actually to get a lot of the sort of New York, these New York artists out. Yeah. So that people can hear about them, yeah. especially if like, like they're give not give them money <laughs> or, you know, just so that people there can be a dialogue of education. Them. Yeah. Because when that education can happen, that's when audiences will be perhaps can, you know, let their, uh, you know, curators and theaters know, I want to see this. That's I want this beautiful. to come here. I want to have engagement with it. Love I it. mean, that's also where I think I'm looking to film and a video. It's about how can I, how can I, you know, get those, those queer kids mm-hmm. outside of New York. This is a slightly a jump from that, but before we kind of shift into kind of your uh, story, your journey and kind of how you got here, because I do have questions about that. I want to talk about one other piece of yours um, that is sort of related very distinctly, I think, to direct uh, communications of class, which is Chambre. Mm. And I loved it. And uh, for anyone who isn't familiar, that work was based on the maids, Jean yeah. Genet's The Maids, yeah. um, which I feel like of all the pieces I've seen, you went the furthest away from your body. Like you were mm. in your body, obviously very present, mm. but like you went really far away into something where it was really like, and when I say that, what I'm meaning is like you allowed yourself to be inhabited so fully. Yeah. Like there was so much rage and grief and anger and fierceness in that piece. Um, and it was palpable, like so intense. And the movement was so so angry. You were so angry. So powerful. Um, But that's something where I think um, I would love to kind of engage you on because obviously beyond all of the beautiful um, titles and um, associations that we can give to you, again, like actor, writer, you are a vessel. And I think that's a very big part of your work and why like you could say that for almost any dancer, but I actually am like kind of not going to because I kind of feel you're doing something very different. Even often like people that you perform with are doing something different from mm-hmm. what you're doing. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with their gifts and talents. It's just like you're channeling something in the midst of the performance because you're an actor. Not all dancers are actors. Right. Um, so I want to speak to that because there is like this element of service devotion, almost like vestal virgin energy, like a deliverance and offering. I say to this to my students, I I really, I definitely said, try to, this magic is also very practical and that consider yourself like a server in a restaurant and you're going to the back to get the emotions that that table needs. See, that's exact. I love that you, yes, you've never said that to me, but I'm so happy that that is an awareness and a conscious thing, yeah. obviously. But I wanted to talk to you and engage you. I'm like, I think a lot of people who are listening to this because I don't consider your work to be any different than that of a channeler, a psychic, a tarot reader. It's just a different tool. And so, um, and that I was so drawn to make, I mean, I don't make money making these pieces. Well, how do you, how do you, what is your process of, 
taking care of yourself oh, and of your willingness yeah. to go as deep as you do physically. Well, like, what does that look like? We'll go a little like? bit back to this, this switch from acting into making. Mm-hmm. Because what happened, I mean, I was making money as an actor. And then what happened was I felt that I wasn't being of service mm. in the way that some extreme part of me wanted to said I had to be and so I got I had been and I had trained in Martha Graham so I'd also had this really I had this desire to be dancing and to be creating also these pieces that were theater dance performance art working with visual artists that I I I felt this need for this thing to come through so I had taken a Pilates class and it had really grounded me and I thought, well, this is actually pretty close to Graham. Mm. And I realized I'd have to get certified in something to pay myself something so I could make this work, which I had heard you'll make no money from, yeah, from older makers. And so that's how I began. I got certified wow. in Pilates from a real witch, Kelly Kane, who I would say nice. is sort of the, like almost the anti-Pilates Pilates. I mean, that's not true. She loves Pilates, but she's so... <laughs> she brings something. She's very careful about things that I think are really important, such as spinal flexion, which if you're working with people who have osteopenia, osteoporosis, you don't necessarily want to put them in loaded spinal flexion. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't. It's... Anyhow. So... <laughs> I, I got this almost sort of PT Pilates training nice. and then I started to do that, which was, I needed to find a way to, the advice I got from someone was find a way to, where you can make money and help people mm-hmm. because you're someone who wants to be of service. That's very clear. And then I started making these pieces and I did that for years. And then in 2010 is when I was first hired by NYU. And then eventually I'd be later hired by Bard when my schedule became so complex that I had to stop teaching Pilates and and just be teaching at Bard College. I also had to let NYU go. And um, uh, though I, I sometimes take uh, other teaching gigs that are, you know, a workshop, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, and then I just focus on making these pieces. So I had years where um, I made, it was harrowing. And yeah. it was also happening during my Saturn return. Oh my God. So actually, as I was going into 30, 31, 32, 33, I was making the least amount of money I ever made in my life. <laughs> like I was barely surviving. Surviving. Yeah. It was very close to when I first moved to New York, actually. Oh, wow. And I would have like ramen yeah. for dinner with, if I could, an egg on it. You know, it was like that. Yeah. And now here I was like a decade later going through that again. And it was years of that. Mm. And I just, and I was at that point really teaching Pilates and and making these pieces and then also teaching for NYU adjunct. And then, um, and then it started to gel and to get more support around, uh, Shamb actually. Mm -hmm. Shamb was the first piece I had that had real support behind it. And, um, and then very fortunately, I also started getting some commercial work here and there. Nice. I had nothing last year on, as I just Aww. did my taxes. I really saw that. Um, <laughs> so do you and feel then like- working at Bard really has been such a, has, mm. I mean, A of all such a gift because I love, I actually am a maker who loves teaching as much as I love making. I'm oh, so beautiful. I'm grateful love for that. to be a teacher too. Yeah. It's the best. Yeah. Well, and you really, you feel it like, hones your practice. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you feel like that support 
help to enable you to go as deep as you did? Absolutely. Yeah. To have, to have support is then, you know, it's that rope tied around your waist Uh, to go back to, you know, Joe Beth Williams going into the closet. God bless her. Without that, I think there can be, and I've certainly, you know, a lot of pieces I've made have been, you know, a cut of the door, a cut of the ticket sales. And those pieces, I think, uh, I love them too, but it's a different way of making. Yeah. And I would say both in Shamb and in Everything is Imaginable, those are the pieces I had the most support for. And I would also say those are the pieces where I was able to go the furthest to hell. That's so powerful. And I think so important to really like lift up, illuminate for everybody listening that the greater the cultivation of support around you. And sometimes we can control aspects of that. And sometimes Mm -hmm. we can't, because I think what you're speaking about also like draws us into all of the issues that are present, especially for artists, for makers, for dancers about like, there is no structure for funding. Mm -hmm. There's also no very little educational, like you have to reach out and find that stuff in a lot of places, especially if we're growing up in certain parts of the regional you know, country. So there's just some real power there. And I imagine that, I mean, I know you well enough to know that when you're in production, when you're in like your self-care regimen is very high. So you've created ways to internally support yourself also. It can be. I mean, I think I've also really hit this new, (laughs) uh, um, that's true, actually. If I was to compare, and I was going to say, I, if I was yeah. to compare myself care with other people, I would say yes. I suppose it is. <laughs> it is pretty high in that I don't really go. I, it's very rare that I go out. Yeah. Anymore. I have very, very close, uh, very small group of people who I am in. Who I would say are the the more chosen family mm-hmm. um, who I'm in contact with, and then. Um, yeah I, yeah, I do definitely try to yeah. to take care of myself in that way. I think the thing that I that came has come up for me this past year because I had three injuries of tearing both of my calves and then breaking my right foot was still seeing that I definitely press myself into workaholism. It is a place, and I think part of what I'm uncovering now is um, what is my existence? Do I get to have an existence outside of being of service? Yeah. And that's something that... It's a huge question. ...is really... As someone who felt that in a way I was killed as a child and that what I came back as was some sort of queer Lazarus witch <laughs> who's here to yeah. uh, create containers and spaces for... Um, ventilation around these issues of power struggles and sexual orientation and gender um, uh, class disparity like but what about and I think that's the question for a lot of us who work in the in it in healing modalities who are we without the work yeah I've been definitely like this year it's so interesting because you and I are often very parallel yeah. with what we're going through but yeah. we'll experience it differently or whatever but I too this year um, have really been um, just like nose to like right on it of like what is my quality of life 
if everything isn't about work. And it's been very humbling to like, kind of like a baby bird to be like, oh, wow, like I almost don't have any. Yeah, Not crazy. Like it's I'm in really... the best relationship. My yeah. my home is beautiful. Yeah. My work yeah. is abundant. Like yeah. it's great. But what does Lindsay do? And and that's what has begun to kind of shatter that the, one of the first kind of tower experiences with grappling mm. with that is like I have to leave New York, right? Because I can't continue that. And for some people, that's where they're led to. Yeah. So for me personally, it was just like oh, nature is completely yeah. missing in this. I grew up in New Jersey. I never even knew it was something I needed. Yeah, It's like, I need it. Yeah, But you don't even think of that because if you if you come from nothing, which I did and I know you did too, yeah. and you're hustling to make everything you are, yeah. there really does get to be a point, especially when you are in devotion to spirit in one way or another, in devotion to being of service, there really does come a point where you're like, oh yeah, like what is it to be in balance with pleasure and service. Absolutely. And I feel like I'm having this weird return to almost these feelings that I was having in the, in the very sort of beginning of um, my recovery journey. Oh, wow. When I, when I feel like I, in my early twenties and when I really started to, when I was in therapy and, um, setting like letting go of any sort of substance that was going to be murking my mind and yeah uh getting in and the very beginnings of when I was getting back to something that then I would say I'd had that experience as a child I mean I remember as a child walking around and feeling inspiration of feeling that there was something inside me outside me talking with me holding me make like guiding me to stay alive and it's always about getting back to that yeah to that voice yeah and I think yes in this city when we are you know and it's it's not like either of us are working in a hedge fund or working in some like I mean also I teach at Bard College it's a small liberal (laughs) arts school it's not like I'm teaching at Princeton yeah or Yale or you know a place that has an endowment yeah it's really, you know, these places are, and of course, it's also been so much my path of also feeling, uh, feeling always so drawn to, mm-hmm. um, you know, the outlier, the, yeah. the, you know, these smaller Aquarius. spaces. Yeah. Yes. yeah well, I'm Aquarius a- with a Scorpio rising and an Aries moon. Of course you are. So that Aries moon really makes sure I get everything done. Yeah. I really like do, <laughs> do, do. Yeah. That Scorpio rising is clearly how I come off. Yes. I'm, always in black accurate guys yeah um and uh and certainly in the communication with death yeah and but yes that aquarius Aquarius, baby you know yeah a desire for how things could be yes you know this idea of utopia Yeah. yeah um we're about we're gonna get ready to wrap up but i have a couple more questions um this one is a big one i'm ready Um, when did you always understand in some part of you that you were a witch? Yes. Yes. Yeah. For as, as long as when my mother, my mother died in 2013. And when I was leaving that house that I grew up in and after she had died and I knew I wouldn't be back in it. 
mm-hmm. as I was leaving. And as I was leaving, there was this box that had journals that she'd written, that was kept about me as a child and some note cards. And on a note card was written, um, he t- it was something like he took a nap today and he was upstairs for a very long time. Oh no, it was, he was upstairs for a very long time being quiet. Maybe he was taking a nap. He came downstairs eventually and said, and this was written, I would have been three, was the date. Eventually he came downstairs and said, mommy, come upstairs and meet my new ghost friends. Wow. And I can remember being very young and seeing things, Mm -hmm. hearing things. Knowing that you were connected to a larger. Knowing that I was connected. Yes. And I... Uh, I mean, I was raised Unitarian, and that was a very sort of like wow. uh, learn about these things and choose your own adventure. Mm-hmm. I was always drawn to Wicca. Me too. It always made sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I it is a it is a it is a relationship around listening. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. How did your journey with recovery, because I know it is such a huge part of your journey, um, did your uh, journey of recovery intersect with you shifting from being an actor to wanting to kind of meld together and create these more? Absolutely. Well, when I moved to New York at 18, I knew I was going to the Graham School and I remember my mother saying, why are you going and what do you want to do with that? And at 18, I said, I want to make these works that haven't been wow. made before. I want to make a works of theater that have dance in them. And that re- and that I also I was know. learning about performance art because I was in the city and, you know, reading these books and going to these galleries yeah. and seeing these wild things. And I said, I want to find a way to formally use all of these materials in service of a psychological content. Because I also had thought that maybe I wanted to be a psychoanalyst or, yeah, and, um, and support in that way. Yeah. yeah. And so I said that at 18 and then I made a piece at 21 that was far too big for me to bite off. Like I had such a breakdown after that piece. Oh no. And then I went away from ever making that kind of work again until I was 27. Wow. And center return. Yes. And at that time, also because of, um, just having more training and my partner at that time was a dancer and I was getting to meet these different choreographers and it, it began to unfold. And I think also I was looking for, you know, in my, in the spirit of, of recovery, or I would say uncovering Mm -hmm. of removing different veils in front of me so that I could listen more, hear myself, listen to what these voices are saying mm-hmm. um there was uh also a feeling of just simply that I didn't I didn't know what my service was as much as an actor mm. and I love acting now if, the, if it's the right fit yes um but it was that I I needed to write and choreograph and make these works yeah and because also and it reminds me of Graham in that way. I mm-hmm. mean, she made works because there weren't works available for her to be in that she yeah. really was wanting to be. Was wanting all people weren't casting her. I yeah. mean, what I I was getting cast in things that I was like, well, I don't know if I want to do this. Mm. And I was also getting feedback that felt um, femme phobic, and yeah. I was uninterested in that. Mm-hmm. And so I 
began to make the work, but the work always was in service of how can people feel less alone? And that's been my experience of receiving, I mean, on everything's imaginable, there was, I got all this feedback of, you know, thank you for making that or this, I remember making a piece of mine where someone who was struggling with coming out, it helped him so much. And it was, you know, at the same time, I got a, like a really vicious review about that work. And I had to think, which is more important. And that man was. Yeah. Helping him was, you know. I think something that is not, it's like so weird because it's so completely in the bedrock of um, the experience of being a witch. Like we all have PTSD from yeah. being burned and killed and raped and tortured yeah. for just being, all of us share that. But there really is something that I think just isn't, articulated specifically enough that if you are really drawn, really tapped in, really working from your soul, really allowing kind of that weaving of the inner fire and the inner knowing to kind of come out and blend in together, you will absolutely, uh, some people will be so opened by your light and some people will get really angry at you and will try to flash. Like there's always, I'm always experiencing that too. Like when, yeah, it's it's like, what's incredible about that experience. It reminds me of this quote of only to the extent that we expose ourselves over and over again to annihilation. Can that, which is indestructible in us be found. Wow. And I think there's something to that process of, I've also, and I think this is this other, you know, phase of growing up of really realizing that it's that when people, when people behave violently, it is about them. Always. And always that when people are cruel, it is about them. Yes. And how, how to detach from that, mm-hmm. I think is sort of the next zone And it is where our communities, our covens, I think, are coming together in this way of beginning to feel this other web of support that I feel is coming back together more for us and will embolden us to make these, continue to make, Mm -hmm. like, brave, strong, healing, generous work. Mm. Beautiful. Well, that I legitimately wish we could talk for another hour, but we are at time. You're going to have to come back. I'm going to have to come you're back. You're going to have to come back. I mean, we didn't even get into that. My birthday's on in bulk. No, we did not get into that. So you're going to have to come back. Number <laughs> Which you told me when you told me that. <laughs> I, and that did. I, I could not believe you didn't know. I, well, someone, I remember someone had told me years ago, a, a witch friend of mine had told me that. And it just kind of goes out. I get I just, it. Well, because also birthdays are so traumatizing. They're so traumatizing. Traumatizing. They're really like that was when I, I decided to come here. You know, you're like, oh, yeah. Wow, I decided to, I, you know, I came I know. here. Yeah, you came here you know? at that exact time. Yeah, I love you so much. Thank you, oh, Lindsay. I love you so much. Where um, can what an honor? Oh, thank you. You too. Where can people find you? Jackferver.org mm-hmm. is my website. Mm-hmm. It's a dot org. Uh, Jackferver.org, and on Instagram, it's Jackferver. I, I have the podcast, which on Instagram is with dance and stuff, but yes. our website is danceandstuff.com. Yes. 
and it's the best. some of my works are available on Vimeo and some are not. So Wonderful. That's, but I will be sending you Rumble Ghost. For Wonderful. Sure. I can't Rumble wait. So I love you so much. Thank you I for being you with so us. Much, Thank you.